You're listening to A Date with Data with your host, Amy Bitterman. Hey, it's Amy, and I'm so excited to be hosting A Date with Data. I'll be chatting with state and district special education staff who, just like you, are dealing with IDEA data every day. A Date with Data is brought to you by the IDEA Data Center. On this episode, we're joined by Ginger Elliott Teague, Director of Data Analysis with the Oklahoma State Department of Education. Welcome. I've been at the State Department of Education in Oklahoma for about six years now, always in the same role, working with Part B data and Part C data, proportionality, the SPPAPR, the SIP reporting and evaluation, and you know a wide variety of other data elements. So states recently submitted their first SPP APR of the federal fiscal year 2020-2025 cycle, and that included a lot of changes to the indicators. How in your state did you support districts and other stakeholders to understand those changes and the implications of those changes? We've had traditionally a hard time having districts understand what the APR is, why we have to report it the way we do, why we make the calculations we do, understanding the role of the federal reports and how that trickles down to districts can be um, difficult to explain, particularly when we have a lot of turnover, as I'm sure a lot of states and districts do. So this year, um, when we were explaining the changes, we you know, a lot of new folks didn't know there were things that had changed in it. Um, so talking about comparisons to the past um, didn't always work. We did that a little bit for those who had experience, but we tried to generally explain the calculations, particularly for one, um, two did not change, indicator two dropouts did not change in Oklahoma because we've been using the same methodology for quite a while that will be moving forward as required. So But for indicator one graduation, the change to the exiting file was an important conversation with districts because it really changes how they understand what a graduate is. So rather than thinking about the cohort base, changing it to the percentage of graduates of all 14 to 21-year-old exiters, massive change in um, calculation. So that took some time to explain. And I think we're going to continue to do that over time as they see that now graduation and dropout are basically mirror images of each other. In Oklahoma, we don't have a lot of students who reach max age, exit by reaching max age, and we do not have an alternate diploma or certificate or anything. So graduates plus dropouts is pretty much our entire exiting report. So that at least makes those two numbers align really nicely, but it also means that if you fail at one, you fail at the other. So that's Um, going to be a little bit of a change. Three was really hard to explain because with all of the new assessment measures and the limitations to specific grades, we went through a lot of charts and a lot of data. And when we started talking about target setting, we didn't have the assessment results yet. So we projected different options in our um, explanations of what the targets might be. And so we said, if our proficiency rate were X, this is what our targets could be. So we set forward some proposed target lines that differed based on that starting 
starting point of our data this year, because this, of course, is baseline, so we would be moving forward. So, you know, if proficiency were 10% or 20% or 30%, and in Oklahoma, unfortunately, we had to go down to 4% is where we are this year in some of our baseline data. We are at 2 3 4% proficiency for special education students, which is just horrifying, but that's where we are and how we will move forward. So that was interesting to talk about with stakeholders and to say, you know, this is, uh, we must set targets. We're not sure what they will look like, but here are some options for raising it annually, where we might want to be in the end. And um, what do you think? How do you want to move forward? Um, we always asked about methodology options, as well as um, final target preferences, so that stakeholders could really vote on, and we did polling in our meetings so that we could get a firm preference setting for those options. But then of course we had discussion and got some qualitative feedback as well. So with 6C, that was really the only other indicator that stakeholders thought was potentially problematic with percent receiving services in the home. But we didn't have a lot of discussion on that mainly because we have maybe 30 or 40 a year out of our entire child count that receives services in that setting. So it's more of a factor of, well, why are we measuring that? Why do we have to report that? So, you know, we do what we can, say we must, and then also say, well, that won't be in your determination. So it's not something you need to worry about at the local level. <laughs> what would you say worked really well in terms of engaging the districts and stakeholders and increasing their understanding in the changes? Talking through the potential options, I think worked really well. They appreciated knowing that they didn't, that we weren't presenting one option and they had to say yes or no. So we said, okay, it had really high target. What would that look like over time? If we had medium targets or if we had conservative targets, what would that look like over time? Where would we want to be in the end? So if we had an incremental approach versus setting specific percentage increases over time. So, you know, we talked through all of those options and I hope that that process helped them understand how there's a lot of options for setting targets and one is not necessarily required. We do want stakeholder input into what those will be and that decision stays with us for six years. So understanding the implications and importance of choosing why is you know, we, that was part of the discussion. We put charts up and tables and those kinds of things, and we got good feedback about that. Comparing target lines with right next to each other, that seemed like a successful approach. Um, the hardest part we had was actually getting people to attend. So we had good participation for those who were, um, we did have low participation overall. And what plans do you have for ongoing continuous engagement with stakeholders moving forward? So for the first 16 indicators of the SPP APR, we do report annually to stakeholders, particularly through our advisory panel. We post information online and do all of those public reporting requirements. Um, traditionally, we haven't done a lot of other stakeholder engagement, and I know moving forward, we need to. So that is something we are thinking about. With the SF, we have much more engagement and a lot of opportunities for stakeholder engagement. We have several standing committees, um, advisory committees, of different types of stakeholders to help us move forward with that. And that's been really successful and plan on engaging those groups every other month for the foreseeable future. How we can use that model for the 
rest of the APR, we'll have to think about that might be too much in general. I'm not sure, but at least that model has worked really successfully for us for the essay. Can you share a success story, something you're really proud of related to the stakeholder engagement work you've been doing? We are... As a state, we have a really good relationship with our parent center. And that's something that we are, we think of as successful. They will host meetings with us. They promote our stakeholder engagement. They always attend, of course, and try to bring other parents in. They're not necessarily successful at ensuring that a wide variety of parents attend. You know, they advertise, but that doesn't mean parents will necessarily participate. But the fact that they are engaged and they share information with their, I don't want to say members, but with the with their stakeholders themselves has been really helpful for us. And we really appreciate the support with that. The ESSIP stakeholder groups, those standing committees, we think have been quite successful and are glad that those are continuing also. This is all such incredibly rich information that you shared with us. Before we go, is there anything else that you would like to leave us with? So this year was the first time I have gone through the stakeholder engagement process for an entirely new cycle for the SPP APR. So that learning experience has been really valuable. Working with new ways to engage stakeholders, you know, we've set up a new website, tried to share as much information as possible to build stakeholder capacity. And I think we're going to learn from that information and that process of how we can continue to engage stakeholders. In Oklahoma, we don't have a lot of stakeholder engagement. You know, we aren't highly litigious, so we just don't hear from stakeholders very much in a wide variety of ways. So finding new ways to bring them into the process and ensure that they have a voice has been great to practice. And I'm hoping that we can learn from that and develop new ways to pull them in as we move forward. Thank you, Ginger. We really appreciate having you on the podcast with us. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to share. To access podcast resources, submit questions related to today's episode, or if you have ideas for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. The links are in the episode content, or connect with us via the podcast page on the IDC website at ideadata.org.